science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're once again presenting stories about mental health in the final installment of our two-part series. Just a reminder that, as you might expect, these stories in today's episode do include descriptions of symptoms of mental illness, which might be upsetting for some listeners. But I'm very proud of all four of the stories that we have to share with you in the series, and that the two stories we're sharing with you today both come from Story Collider producers who are near and dear to my heart. They both shared the original versions of their stories at last year's Story Collider Producers Retreat, and I'm so glad that they've gone on to share them at our shows. Our first story today is from Zach Stovall. It was recorded in February 2019 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was, It's All in Your Head. So I'm eight years old at Dale's Donuts, and... I'm with my friend and his dad and his dad looks at his watch and he begins scrambling because he's got to get me home by noon. I had spent the night with him earlier and he starts rushing and we're trying to delay and he stops me and he goes, Zach, I'm not scared of your dad who happens to be six foot five, 300 pounds, former Marine police officer. I'm not scared of your dad. I'm scared of your mom. (laughs) My mom was really interesting. Uh, Throughout my childhood, like I'd be playing baseball games and uh, you'd be able to pick her out because there was a small perimeter around her in the stands. And she would yell things, you know, like most parents do like at, you know, their kids. But instead of like, woo or yay or general support, (laughs) she would get very specific. She'd be like, Widen your stance. Shoulder width. Extend your arms. Lock your elbows. No, white. Swing. No, 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 no. Why? (laughs) I like to think that I missed out on a couple of all-star games because of that, but, like, really, I wasn't that good. Um, Mom and I had a really interesting relationship. She worked uh, worked nights uh, a lot. Um, at the beginning, uh, she works for the post office and she worked, uh, she had a night shift for the first little while. So, uh, one morning, uh, she'd come home early and, uh, my brother and I woke up and we decided, all right, we want to go get some cereal. Uh, and we're going to go get the top shelf stuff, uh, golden grams (laughs) and being kids, and it being on the top shelf, we decided we were not going to just like get a stool or anything to go climb up at. We were going to jump up, open the door, jump up again, grab the cereal, <laughs> jump up a third time, slam it shut. This is an indelicate maneuver, obviously. <laughs> so we obviously wake up my mom, and instead of coming out and just saying, hey, stop it, I've been working all night, she comes out and just starts screaming opening the doors in the cabinets and slamming them shut, saying something along the lines of, this is what it sounds like, just screaming at the top of her lungs, opening and shutting and slamming. It sounded like the band Stomp if they were falling down a flight of stairs, (laughs) 
but they're supposed to love you. Uh, it, it wasn't a word terrifying. Uh, my, my little brother, I remember, didn't finish his cereal because of that. Um, but I think the most interesting thing about growing up with my mom was definitely the, um, the elementary school talent shows. Um, so I'm from a small town. Uh, you might have heard of it. It's called Arkansas. <laughs> so our school talent shows were like big deals. Um, and you know those like stereotypical southern dads who are like, my boy's going to play football, and my boy's going to play quarterback, and my boy's going to love beer, and whatever. My mom was kind of like that, only it was, my son's going to sing. My son's going to sing in public. <laughs> my son's going to sing contemporary Christian rock songs. <laughs> Guys, I was not good. And we're talking about bangers only, the hits, Stephen Curtis Chapman, DC Talk, Jars of Clay, the Christian version of a boy band, number sign for him. The hits. And I would do this every year, and every year I would uh, I'd object strenuously. I would say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And she'd say, no, you have to. You're so good. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. And she'd be like, you have to. And then one year I just snap. I go, no, I'm not doing it this year. She finally convinces me to do it. But I say, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my terms, which is a very bold thing for a fourth grader to say. <laughs> Drew a line in the sand, no more contemporary Christian rock songs. The problem. Fourth graders don't have any taste. They have no taste. There's no, like, Pitchfork magazine within, like, those scholastic, like, bookmobile, like, mag flyers. They don't exist. The only thing I cared about were, like, superhero movies and eating meals designed for adults. That's all I cared about. But I was in luck. Fourth grade, a superhero movie had come out. Um, uh, Batman Forever came out. And it came out, and everybody knew what it was, and it had a soundtrack and everything. <laughs> so I decided to sing, of my own volition, at fourth grade, Seals Kissed by a Rose. You never realize how sexually graphic <laughs> the song Kissed by a Rose is until it's sung at you poorly by a morbidly obese fourth grader in an ill-fitting vest. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, the lyrics go like something like this. It's like, oh, baby! Sir, you were just a baby like 
eight years ago. <laughs> I compare you to a kiss on the rose on the grave. What does that even mean? Are you getting molested by an undertaker? Whoa! Ooh, the more I get of you, the stranger it feels. This is already extremely strange. But now that your rose is in bloom, this round boy is talking about vaginas. A light hits the gloom on the grave. My small town church elders uh, all gathered to figure out whether they were going to run us out on a rail or just burn our house down. (laughs) Men were screaming and women were crying and children were puking and all were denying the existence of God. (laughs) So I waddle off stage. And my mom is back there because, of course, she forced her way backstage. And she goes, Zach, you did such a great job. You're the best. Everyone loved it. I love you so much. Way to go. Completely untethered from the reality of what had just occurred. (laughs) And that continued that sort of uh, distance from what was actually going on versus what she was saying was going on. Um, A few years ago, uh, I got a call from my dad, and uh, he said, son, uh, your mom's cheese has finally slid off the cracker. (laughs) Which, like most Arkansas phrases, sounds like it has a long, proud history, but has never existed before. (laughs) Son, your mom's uh, cheese has finally slid off the cracker. Uh, She moved out three months ago. Uh, And she lives with, uh, she's been living with her parents, your your grandparents. Uh, And I didn't know what to think. Uh, None of us did. We would try to reason with her. We'd try to talk to her. We'd call her. She'd answer the phone and seems like everything was normal. Um, And we try to say, hey, what's going on? Is there something wrong? You know, my dad certainly isn't like blameless in, you know, any problems that you guys would have in your relationship. And she would just push us away to the point to where she would hang up as she was screaming at us. Um, She would completely distance herself from what was going on. Uh, to the point that when um, my dad wasn't one for like ultimatums, but what um, he did say was when she uh, when she took half of their retirement savings uh, in order to buy her own house, he said, this is effectively the end of our marriage. And he told her that. And so he went to the bank to sign over the paperwork. And then she's walking in and he's walking out visibly upset. And she looked at him and she goes, What's wrong? Completely untethered from the reality we were seeing. Uh, She would also create stories that put herself as the victim always. One Christmas, uh, fairly recently, um, we went over to her house. We spent eight hours with her that day. And then we went to go leave and see my 
great aunts on my dad's side, great aunt, great uncle. And she got so incensed, so mad. She drove 45 minutes to where I was staying with my brother and she took all of our gifts that we had gotten her for Christmas and threw them in the front yard in the rain and said she never wanted to see us again. Completely untethered. After that, uh, my brother and I started talking, um, and his wife, uh, his wife is a, uh, a psychologist, uh, MD. And she told us about something called, um, borderline personality disorder. Um, she gave me like four books on it. I read them all and they described my mom to a T. Um, it's this really weird, it's a disorder. It's not like depression, um, where, and not to generalize about depression, but like where there's a chemical imbalance where you can take medication and sort of weather that. This is conditional therapy that they have to be willing to take. It's extremely high functioning, so it's extremely hard to diagnose. My mom was able to hold down a job for years. She would always say the right things sometimes, and then she would always come down with the worst things also. Um, It's always very contradictory. She would say stuff like, um, I can't be selfish. I hate myself. You don't know how much I love you. I don't want to see you anymore. And this contradiction would, it would cause us to have to set up what, what in like books about like borderline personality disorder would tell you are boundaries. You have to establish rules for these, for your people, for your loved ones to interact with. In order to interact with them, they have to abide by these rules. And when they don't, you have to keep them at bay. Otherwise, there's a, it's called a symptom called caretaking. Uh, where you will actually start to exhibit those behaviors just to avoid those behaviors in another person, and it will begin to manifest as a personality disorder of your own. Um, I've always thought of my mom's condition as sort of like this time traveler's terminal illness. Um, Usually a terminal illness, uh, somebody gets sick, uh, they maybe last for a year, a few years, but there's a, a finite amount of time, and then that person is gone forever. Uh, my mom's has been sort of in and out. After that Christmas, I didn't talk to her for three years until then, until we ended up seeing each other at my niece's birthday party, which she then made a scene during and left. But the last 10 months have been great. And she's never, one of the things about borderline is that it's very hard to diagnose because the people don't want to hear it. They'll get very violent and push that away. So we've never had an opportunity to even talk about this. The only thing that we've even gotten close to talking about is when I was visiting this summer, my mom looked at me and goes, Pete Davidson, he's got borderline personality disorder. He made it on Saturday Night Live. And that's it. (laughs) So throughout this entire journey with my mom, I've sort of been asking myself this one question. What's the difference between somebody with an overt, abject mental illness and somebody who's just being being a complete and total asshole? (laughs) And I've, I've sort of come to realize that when it's somebody you love, it doesn't really matter. You'll take them through whenever they're time traveling in with their disease. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. 
sometimes a light hits the gloom on the grave and you have to leave your hometown for forever. (laughs) Thank you, guys. That was Zach Stovall. Zach is a New York-based story writer, producer, as well as a writer, producer, cartoonist, and comedian. He has performed stand-up and sketch comedy across the South, Midwest, and New York. Zach has written for St. Louis Magazine and Vulture, and is the author of a collection of cartoons called Fancy Things. He currently lives in New York City with his wife Rebecca and their golden doodle Newman. Zach tweets as Z Stovall and lost most of his hair sometime in 2009. At a recent Story Collider karaoke night, we finally coaxed Zach into giving us the full rendition of Kiss from a Rose, and it was everything that we thought it could be and more. (laughs) Our next story today is from Audrey Kearns. It was recorded in February 2019 at Lyric Hyperion in Los Angeles. The theme that night was On Trial. I catch my husband staring at me a lot. A lot. Um, I'm watching TV. He's staring at me. I'm folding laundry. He's staring at me. I'm wearing Doctor Who leggings and a Harry Potter shirt, writing in my Star Trek journal. He's staring at me. But that's fair. Um, It seems creepy, but it's not. Because uh, when he stares at me, he has the most gentle eyes and uh, warmth in his smile. When he stares at me, I feel safe, which is a great thing. It's a good thing, especially because four years ago, I woke up in a hospital without any idea of how I got there. And if it wasn't for him and his uh, gentle smile and his radiating safety, I would have lost my mind. Uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, depression disorder, and an anxiety disorder. I like to think I'm (laughs) well-rounded. I... uh, I received my diagnoses in my late 30s and was really excited, for real, because um, after decades of suffering, I now had a name for my hidden monster, and now that I had a name, I could defeat it with my husband, and we would defeat it together, and he would be the Padraig Payne to my Brienne of Tarth. (laughs) And yes, I am a huge geek, and it's an important part of my story because um, after I got my mental health trifecta, I had a very nerdy and creative renaissance. I I wrote and performed in this one-person show called Obsessively Okay, where I outed myself as someone with OCD and as a card-carrying science fiction and fantasy nerd. I um, founded an influential pop culture site called Geek Girl Authority. I had several podcasts. I was doing live shows. And I started to go to nerd conventions, not only as a fan, but as a panelist. Now, I had been going to these nerd conventions already and sitting in the audience with notebooks and a pen at the ready, really excited about it. And now I was on the other side and it was so cool and I felt really accomplished. But as I went through my renaissance, I realized that my struggles, my mental health struggles were not going away. I still got depressed. I still had my compulsions. And I found out that antidepressants don't work on me. But I kept trying to defeat it. Um, I kept trying to defeat it by confiding in my husband and being creative and going to therapy, which is really hard. It's really hard to make time every week 
to go talk about how fucked up you are and how you always be fucked up and how you're going to be fucked up for the rest of your life. You know, it's fucked up. <laughs> but I did it in hopes that some miracle in science would make it all go away. So when my doctor told me about this new SSRI that was out that was getting positive results, I thought, yes, this is the one. Now, SSRI stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. Uh, serotonin is a chemical that your body produces for your brain and your nerve cells to function. The idea behind the pill that is that it helps ease depression by raising the serotonin levels in your system. So we began the treatment. It didn't work. Um, so my doctor raised the dosage, and we waited. There was still no relief. And so we decided together, uh, my doctor and I, to try the maximum dosage. And I start that. And um, I, get, I book a nerd convention. So, <laughs> as a panelist. And um, so a few days before the con, I start to feel really fuzzy. And with each subsequent day, I feel weirder. You know, I feel like I'm in a fog and like I'm smoking weed, but there are no laughs and there's definitely no chill. Um, the morning of the con was, was the worst. I, I, I felt like my, my brain and reality are moving at two different speeds. And since I'm basically high, I'm not making good decisions. So I get in my car, I drive to the convention, I go to my panel, I walk on stage, and I wake up in a hospital six hours later. So, um, what I'm gonna share about these six hours, I don't remember at all. Uh, they've been pieced together by my husband and by my friends who were there, so. I was on the panel, and I just got up and left. Just walked off stage. And a friend found me in the convention hallway, and she thought I went and changed it some cosplay, a costume, because I was wearing a really short skirt. <laughs> but as she got closer, she realized I wasn't wearing a short skirt. I was trying to take off my pants. Um, and she said, Audrey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm hot. I'm so, so hot, I have to get this off me. And then um, convention personnel showed up, as they should in this kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she told them that this was not normal. And so they called an ambulance and they called my husband. Um, in the emergency room, I was agitated, I was uncooperative. I had an elevated heart rate, I had a fever. My husband told the doctor I had been on this new medication and been feeling weird. She dismissed him. And she said, is your wife a heroin user, meth, opiates? He said, no. Is it possible your wife's a drug user and you just don't know it? No, I'm telling you, it's this new medication she's on. Well, we're going to test her for illegal drugs. And so, frustrated, he comes back to my bed only to find me. He comes back to my bed only to find me in restraints. Um, he was in shock. It's for my own safety, they said. Now, 
I'm sure it's not pleasant for anybody to be in restraints, but for someone with OCD like me, having your control taken away from you is absolutely devastating. And I was fighting against the restraints, trying to get free. And my husband would say something to me, and I would calm for a moment. But then I'd slip away, and I'd contort my body and struggle and fight trying to get out of those restraints. And he demanded that they treat me for my anxiety, and they did. And they admitted me to the hospital. Now, while I'm in the hospital, getting settled into the hospital room, um, I become aware for the first time in six hours. I feel like I've been sleeping and I just woke up, except I wake up in a dark room and I have an IV in my arm and there's machines beeping and I see these nurses and I don't know how I got there. And I'm so scared. I am terrified. And then I see my husband's back and he turns around and he locks eyes with me and he tilts his head and he smiles and he says, there you are. So he knew, somehow he knew that I was back. And without that gentle smile ever leaving his face, he comes over to me and he just wraps me in his warmth and he tells me what happened and I am devastated. I am so full of shame. And then the test results come back. Guess what? I'm not an illegal drug user. <laughs> um, the doctors had to concede that my husband was right. Um, you see, while I was in the emergency room, he furiously searched online my symptoms and my medication, and he found something called serotonin syndrome. And that's what it was. Um, serotonin syndrome is incredibly rare. It's caused by a buildup of serotonin in your system, and my body was really sensitive to the increased dosage. Now, knowing that, knowing that it's not my fault, did nothing to alleviate the sense of shame that I was feeling. I mean, I had been acknowledging in public and to myself that I have a mental health disorder. I had been doing everything. I was a perfect patient, taking all the steps, therapy, mindfulness, medication, creativity, and, and it wasn't good enough. I felt like I was being punished for following the rules. I have OCD. I need rules. I enjoy rules. <laughs> so even finding out that it explained my agitation, my heart rate, my fever, and my blackout, I still felt horrible. So from my hospital bed, I make my husband and my stepdaughter promise not to tell anybody. Not my friends, not my family. And um, I just didn't want to be judged. You know, um, did you know Audrey has a, was in the hospital because she has a mental disorder? Do you know why Audrey hardly leaves the house and only eats certain foods? It's because of her mental disorder. <laughs> friends. Do you know why everything in Audrey's house matches? Mental disorder. Well, actually, that last one's because I have taste. <laughs> I just didn't want to be defined by it. So I retreated, and I stopped 
talking about it all together. Then a year ago this month, I was at a nerd convention, uh, sitting on a panel, and someone asked me a direct question about my mental health, or about mental health, and I froze. And I looked out at the audience, and I saw these people there with notebooks and pens at the ready. And I remembered, you know, oh, that's what I used to do. They are me. And I knew I had to answer, honestly, so I do. The only way I know how, as a nerd. <laughs> so speaking in the language of my geeky people, I said, fighting a mental health battle is like fighting a dragon, except it's a dragon that can't ever be fully vanquished. You can have a quiver full of arrows called therapy, mindfulness, medication, creativity, and even with all those arrows, you still may not be able to take that flying lizard down. And that's because the harsh reality is that my mental health doesn't have a neat ending like my favorite stories do. But that doesn't mean I stop the work. I can slay my dragon, and that's wonderful and heroic, but it's going to come back at some point because it is part of me. And instead of crumbling when it does, I have to find the courage to get back up and slay it again. Not Beyonce slay, although that'd be so cool. <laughs> More like Jon Snow slay. <laughs> um, my life is going to be a series of battles, and I'm going to lose one every now and again. Um, the best that I can do is get up and be the best warrior that I can be. Get up, slay, and slay again. Thank you. That was Audrey Kearns. Audrey is one of the producers of Story Collider Los Angeles, as well as a writer, actor, and producer, and the founder and editor-in-chief of the influential pop culture website Geek Girl Authority. She hosts and produces the podcast Geeky Fun Time, Neil Before Odd, and Five Truths and a Lie. She also wrote, produced, and performed in the successful one-person comedy Obsessively Okay, which somehow managed to combine her battles with obsessive-compulsive disorder with her love for Star Trek cosplay. If that's not nerdy enough for you, she says, then just ask her to show you the two separate inhalers she carries with her at all times. If you loved Audrey's husband, Brian, in this story as much as I do, check out his hilarious story in our March 22nd episode, Ocean Adventures, in which he is a slightly different type of character. Brian contains multitudes. <laughs> the Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Paula Croxon, Tracy Rowland, Audrey Kearns, and Joseph Scrimshaw. The podcast is produced by Senior Podcast Editor Zoe Saunders. With help from Gwen Hogan, the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Lyric Hyperion and Caveat for hosting these shows, and to Seal, 
for singing the music of our hearts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>